Welcome back to another edition of the supplementary podcast running through all of the action from the Copa Sudamericana. If you've listened to us already, you know exactly what it's all about. And I don't have to tell you if you haven't, there's not enough time. We're going to dive straight into all things Sudamericana. Myself, Ollie Wilson and Dave Windsor glancing an eye over everything that's happened this week. Uh, Windsor, I know you've got some notes already on the Sudamericana and everything that's gone down in the last three days of action so far thankfully at least though no delayed games like we had last week with uh, Deportes Tolima and Emelec being shifted to I guess three hours from now last week if you will a one o'clock in the morning start on a Friday night so we could be thankful of that at least yeah the schedule looking a little bit neater neater than my notes Ollie that just leave with San Lorenzo WTF like what's going on there I mean, it's a great place to start it's a tournament that's finished for them there's no way they're getting out of this group group a um, it, it's been a nightmare for them three losses one draw one point and even if they win every single game they won't be able to catch the side leading the group at the moment Huachipato, the chileans who are persistent in their play if not sometimes extremely pleasing to watch and uh they ended up having a a, a fine week in the end against Dose de Octobre with the uh, victory on the road that keeps them in charge of that group. But nipping at their heels are Rosario Central. But back to San Lorenzo. I mean, it's just such a fall from grace. Well, well that, they didn't look that bad, didn't they? Because they played in the qualification stages, obviously, for the Libertadores, Oli, right? Came through the second round of qualification. Played against Santos in the third round where they lost. So that's why they're in the Sudamericana. But I don't remember thinking, Jesus, this is a terrible side that can't do anything. So... What's it been? Just a complete drop off in terms of mentality, resting and rotating, or is it just unfathomable shrug of the shoulders they've just been using? I just don't think they're that bothered by it, if I'm honest. I think dropping out yeah. the Libertadores has really affected them. Uh, you compare what they did this week to Rosario Central, who defeated them in Buenos Aires at San Lorenzo. And San Lorenzo took the lead through an own goal. And you're kind of thinking, oh, okay, is this going to be a late statement? Win the last three games of the group. Maybe they throw themselves in the mix. Palacios' ball in is is turned in by Avila into his own net. And Rosario Central immediately rectify the situation. Get hyper-aggressive. Go on the front foot. End up finding an equaliser uh, through uh, an own goal from Gattoni. Then they find the winner through Vecchio. And Vecchio, excuse me. And... Rosario Central dominated the game and only when San Lorenzo were back to 2-1 down with about 15 minutes to go did they start creating chances again. I mean, it was just kind of lethargic once they'd taken the lead. Like, oh, okay, well, now we're winning, so we're San Lorenzo, this is what we do. And you can't afford to do that against any comp club in this competition, let alone against Rosario Central, a side that know you inside out, have played you for so many years. But they've never been close to looking like they're going to get themselves into this group, aside from when they maybe took the lead early on in this game this week. And Dossi de Octobre and Huachipato have been really entertaining sides. I'm a big fan of the underdog and the and the plucky characters in this Combo Ball Sudamericana at the moment and them finding a way through. And I would love it if the Chileans just held off Rosario Central in the last two game weeks mm-hmm. and were able to to find enough victories, enough points to be able to put themselves in the knockout stages because as we know, it's the winner of each group that gets to go through and, and everybody else is left floundering at the moment. But still, when you look, uh, just glancing down all the groups, Ollie, I mean, Group A still looks like, certainly on paper, with two games left, there's still three sides in it for that one spot. 
Same with Group B. Group C, you know, there's still three sides in it. So it hasn't been... You haven't seen too much of one side running away with the group. I mean, uh, this has been... Across the board, really. We were so sceptical about it when they launched the idea of this one side goes through and then it's the other eight from the third place playoffs uh, third place positions in the Copa Libertadores that come down into the knockout stage but actually maybe this is by luck or maybe this is was the intended outcome you've at least got two sides in almost every group gunning for the top spot so it's going to go down to the wire maybe it might be finished by week five depending if those sides are playing each other or not that week but generally there's at least three sides in it. And I mean, you look at Group C with Jorge Wilsterman on two points. If they win their last two games, though, Jorge Wilsterman puts them on eight and suddenly they could end up going through and taking Group C. So there are still some sides down in fourth that are in the mix. I mean, Group D, Melgar and Atletico Paranaense, they meet next. That's going to be a fantastic clash, nine points each. Of who's going to take that group? That's going to be decided, I imagine, next week. Group F with Libertad, Atletico Goianiense, the Brazilians nipping at their heels on eight points. That's a straight shootout coming up. Group G, Emelec on seven, Arby Bragantino on six, Tejeras de Cordoba on five and play some really good football. And even Deportes Tolima, who Hamilton Campas, who's impressed at times in the Libertadores in previous years, and and Jefferson uh, uh, Mosquera as well. Uh, two very good forwards at Deportes Tolima that have enough firepower in them to be able to to ignite that side in the last two group games and perhaps do something a little special there as well. Tejeras have been great to watch. Uh, by the way, um, Hamilton Campas, do you remember a certain moment in a World Cup from a man named Blanco? Where he puts the ball between his feet and jumps over two tackles with the ball stuck sure, between his feet. It. Yeah, Hamilton Campas yeah, yeah. replicates that inside the 18-yard <laughs> box and smashes his effort just wide of the target. And it was gutting Oof. that he doesn't come away with a goal because he falls down, gets to his feet, has two defenders around him, sticks the ball between his legs, jumps over the two challenges, and he's in on goal just quite far wide left of the, of the target. And he tries to drag it across the keeper and it ends up going wide. Would have been one of the goals oh, of man. the Comibol Sudamericana's very brief history if he put that away. <laughs> There's only two groups where it's all kind of run out of time very quickly. Uh, Gremio are special. The 8-0 win last week against Aragua showed their prowess. 3-1 victors this week over Lanús, the runners-up from last year. Gremio are taking this seriously, and there's a great crop of youngsters coming through, as well as the old souls in the likes of Diego Sosa that are getting the job done. But I know I keep chirping on about this phenomenal side in black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow. Peñarol, I, it genuinely brings me They've arrived. so much joy after they... seeing them be so poor the last two years yeah. in both tournaments to see them playing with this sort of cavalier attitude. And they've got quality. I mean, the goal scorers this week, uh, Augustin Alvarez Martinez scored over 100 goals for Peñarol in their youth system. He's bagged Seven goals now in the Commonwealth Sudamericana, including a hat-trick this week. He's 19 years of age. 19. Ollie, sorry to, to cut you off mid-flow while you're eulogising about Peñarol because I'm very I'm very much <laughs> enjoying it. But just as a sidebar, because of course the final of the Libertadores is going to be played in Montevideo and the final of the Sudamericana is going to be played in Montevideo. The Libertadores Uruguayan side is not getting to the final. But how amazing would it be if 
Peñarol got to the final with the final in the you know in their own and backyard. imagine if they can get fans in the ground for that as well. Imagine wow, it's November. The heat yeah. starts to come in Surely again. Surely November. That's going to be the prime yeah. time for perhaps things opening up once mm. more. There is a chance that we're going to get fans in the stands in Montevideo as long as Uruguay as well has got kind of its hold over uh, Corona 19 a little better than some of the other countries in South America. The the Centenario will be rocking. It might be livelier for the Comibol Sudamericana final than the Libertadores final if Peñarol end up hosting it in their you, back garden. You'd, you'd re- oh, oh if, they're, if, if it's the final, then for sure. I mean, you'd like to think, you know, some of that part of the world only starts kind of September, October. And as you say, like by November, the heat comes out. Uruguay is a small country, 3 million people, 4 million people. They will have vaccinated everyone by then. You'd really like to believe that, that, that that'll be... Um, That'll be a full house for both finals. So, you know, that's fingers crossed for that one. will be a spectacular. It's, a th- it's definitely the thing to look forward to. The thing to look forward to in the Copa Sudamericana is to see what Peñarol can do against the sides that come down out of the Libertadores because they're going to win this group without a doubt. They're perfect. Only they and Gremio are perfect in this group at the moment. As I say, the youngster who got the hat-trick, Augustin Alvarez-Martinez, this week looks superb, has already a pedigree at the youth level and looks like he's taking it now to the main stage. But Facundo Torres providing the assist. Canobio, uh, who's only 22 himself on the score sheet this week. Jesus Trindade, who also provides a lot, but also scores as well, coming from as a box-to-box midfielder. Seppellini uh, anchoring the heart of the pitch. And, and Walter Gargano, who is a name that's cropped up as like being a, a you know great player in Uruguayan football. And, and now we're seeing that. I mean, that front six... The midfield and that attacking attacking lineup for Peñarol has been awesome. And even if you're too distracted with the the luxury of the Libertadores, watching Peñarol play in one of these last two group games, I mean, they, Corinthians are not a small side and they bounced back last week with a victory to seemingly get themselves in the tournament. But Peñarol decimated them, absolutely decimated them. It was it's quite savage to watch at times. It was just attack after attack. They were 2-0 up inside 14 minutes. You know, it's just, yeah. And it, it's, again, it's going back to those stories, that football romance of seeing a side like Peñarol achieving again on the big stage, which maybe is something, as you mentioned, we don't get to see in the Libertadores enough. And thankfully, the Sudamericana does provide that outlet for some of the other sides from the lesser nations to kind of break through the... Uh, glass ceiling as I'll use it again for the second podcast.